If you would, take your Bibles, please, and open to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Two Sundays ago, which was Easter, we looked at, in the form of meditation, the resurrection of Jesus and the reality that it points to our resurrection. That is to say, the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of believers on the last day are related. It's a package deal. The hope of our resurrection is based on the reality that Jesus was raised from the dead. By the way, Dave has entitled the sermon from Easter, A Meditation on Resurrections. That is the resurrection of Jesus as well as ours. Last week, we looked at, in the form of meditation, dying with Christ. It's another part of the package that we might not think is so great. We hear words like crucified and death, dying with Christ. Last week we looked at two passages, and I just want to review one of them uh, because we will continue this meditation on dying with Christ. In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Our other text, by the way, was Philippians 3.10 and 11. I'll just read it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And one might ask, what is all this talk about being crucified with Christ, that our old self is crucified, that we share with his sufferings, that we become like him in his death? As I said last week, some people might be tempted to think that Paul was some type of masochist who had a really strange view of what it meant to follow Jesus. Well, considering that Paul wrote more than a quarter of the New Testament, we can't simply dismiss what he wrote as some cranky old man who didn't know what he was talking about. We should recognize that what Paul is talking about wasn't original with him. On more than one occasion, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Jesus not only speaks of taking up the cross, which points to death on a cross, but he says we must do this daily. Um, if we would be honest, these are hard words for us to hear. Briefly, what we saw in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? It is, in fact, our identity, who we are as Christians. There are three parts to the matter. Uh, First, there is death. Um, In the the verse before it, in verse number 19, Paul talks about dying to the law. Then he says, I've been crucified with Christ, in verse 20, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What Paul is saying is that who we were before is irrelevant our previous identity are to be set aside. And Paul is speaking here specifically to Peter and the Jews who somehow don't want to associate with Gentile believers as much as to say, we're Jewish believers, you are Gentile believers. And Paul says, no, being a Jew, that's an old identity. The new identity is that you are in Christ. And so whether you're Jew or Gentile really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Paul is saying we are not identified, in the case of the Jews, by their possession of the law. We would say today, I think in modern terms, by ethnicity. 
uh, where we come from, our nationality, our educational, um, none of this matters. This is, in fact, the old identity. Who we are is in Christ. The second thing that he mentions is union. First there is death and then there is union. He writes, Christ lives in me, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. One might say Paul's contradicting himself. He says, I no longer live. Then he says, the life I live, I live by faith. Well, remember that the first part is death. It's the end of that old identity. And now there is a new identity and there is a new life. And that life is in Christ. The new person is united with Jesus, the Messiah. Therefore, what is true of him is true of us. That includes death and that includes resurrection. And then the third thing is love. The son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And again, as I mentioned last week, we might be tempted to say that Paul's sort of throwing in to sort of soften down this hard theological content. Um, The reality is he is defining what love is, what it looks like. It is the giving of oneself. It is the self-giving of Jesus that we see in his death on the cross. There's a third text that I wanted to look at last week. I went too long as it was. We'll look at it today. And it's found here in Romans chapter 6. I'll read this several times, but let me read it here at the beginning. Verses 3 through 7. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. I mentioned last Sunday that one of the dangers of looking at a passage in isolation is that you will miss what's going on. It's actually part of a continuum. There are verses that come before, unless it's at the beginning of the book. There are verses that come after, again, unless it's at the end of the book. Um, Let's see how Paul got to Romans 6. This is chapter 6. Thus far in the book, Paul has said... That in God's eyes, all human beings are sinners. We have all sinned. Secondly, no human being can be made right with God, our relationship restored with God on our own, based on what we do, on our actions. It's simply not possible. Thirdly, God has provided a way. First of all, there is payment for our sins through the death of Christ. And secondly, By our faith in Christ, we are restored, we are brought into right relationship with him. And it's by God's grace alone that this happens. This brings us up to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, if you look at it, verses 6, 7, 8, we have sort of a summary of what he said thus far. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Okay, We're sinners. He's already established that. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Paul goes on to do something. He contrasts Adam, the first man, 
with Jesus, with Christ. Verses 19, 20, and 21. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. That is right with God. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It seems at this point that Paul realizes what he's written is going to raise several questions. The first is, since we've been made right with God, can't we just keep on doing what we've always done? Our relationship has been restored. Uh, can we continue sinning? Because, you know, wherever we sin, grace is greater than that. So the more you sin, the more grace there is. And Paul answers this in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In the words of Galatians 2, we've been crucified. That old person is dead. Okay? And so that life of being a sinner is, in fact, to be done away with. We have died to sin. This is not who we are, though we still sin, and he will deal with that in chapter 7. The second question is, how do you know if somebody has been made right with God? What is the sign? Is there a marker? Is there some type of... Um, empirical evidence that you could say this person has been made right with God. After all, when one becomes a Christian, they look the same. They have the same name, the same nationality. They, eat, they like the same foods and go on and on and on. So what makes someone, what marks someone as a new person, a new creature, someone who has been made right with God? That's where our text comes in. So again, if you'll look at it, I'll read it one more time, beginning at verse number three. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. I see several things here. First of all, I think Paul assumes that his readers know all about baptism. They have been baptism. So this isn't a passage in which he is telling the readers that they need to be baptized, that they need to follow Jesus in baptism. They already know this. This is something that they already know, and he assumes that as well. What he does is he explains to them what, what has happened when they were baptized, what it illustrates. It is an illustration of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. This is something we share and we will share with him. We have been crucified with Christ. The old identity is gone. And if baptism with immersion, you are put into the water, you are buried. And then when you come out, you are in fact a new person. The old identity has been done away with and you are a new person. And in the words of verse number four, we now live a new life. 
It's a question, though, that I want to deal with briefly. Is Where did baptism come from? Because it's not something we find in the Old Testament. We don't find it in the Old Testament. In the reading from the New Testament today, from Mark chapter 1, we see in Mark 1 and in John chapter 1 that this guy comes along named John the Baptist or John the Baptizer preaching and baptizing people. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And um, as I read, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But where did he come up with this idea? Where did they come up with the idea? And by the way, well, I'll get to this in a minute. First of all, you could say that John made it up, that this was a John invention, that somehow he came up with the idea of, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we dunk people in water and then they come out and it'll somehow sim- symbolize something. Um, I don't think that's likely because I think what John was doing really resonated with the people. They went out to him to be baptized. They knew what he was doing. So this wasn't something new with him. Um, the second possibility is that he got it from the pagans because we certainly see in pagan religions this idea of purification by water. Uh, either of the dead or of uh, infants um, to wash away the profane, that which is taboo, that somehow you make something clean. I think this is also unlikely because he says repent, that is turn from your old ways, and why would he say repent and now do something very pagan? Um, That doesn't make sense. The third possibility, which is what I think is the case, is he got it from Judaism that emerged between Malachi and Matthew. We still don't know where it came from exactly, but we do know that, for example, the high priest uh, was not immersed, but he was cleansed before he would go into the Holy of Holies. And we, we find various rites in uh, Leviticus uh, about purification by water. What we do find is between Malachi and Matthew, there's what is known as the 400 silent years, more and more Gentiles were converting to the Jewish faith. They were converting to Judaism. And in order to become a Jewish convert, there were several things that were required. If you were a man, you had to be circumcised. You had to make a sacrifice, but you had to be baptized. And baptism was basically saying, putting you in the water as a Gentile, dunking you in, and then when you come out, you are now Jewish. You are a believer in Jehovah. So the old person has died, and now you become a new person. It could be that it also signified the washing away of uncleanness. As a Gentile, you did things you should not do, and now you become a part of the people of God. When John begins to preach baptism, this is a totally radical message. Because what he is saying to Jews is, you guys are like Gentiles. You need to be baptized in order to become the people of God that you should be. And we see that the religious leaders rejected what John had to say, but the people who knew in their hearts that in fact they were sinners come to John to be baptized and to repent of their sins. He tells them, change your ways. And in Luke's account, a fascinating passage, what should we do then? They asked John, he's preaching repent, what should we do? John answered, 
The man who has, or the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. In other words, we know that we are wretches. We want to repent. What should we do? Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. In other words, be honest in your dealings. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Simply put, change your ways. Your old person has been baptized. That person is now, if you wish, washed away in the Jordan River. You've come out a new person and your actions should reflect that. When the religious leaders came to sort of spy on him to see what he was doing, he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you change your ways, you should act like it. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. In other words, don't say we're in, we're Jews, we've got it made. John's message was radical and so was his baptism. And this message continues in the ministry of Jesus. A change is required. Repentance is required. It isn't simply saying, I'm sorry. It's a change in the way that you think. And it is, in fact, becoming a new person, which baptism reflects. In the words of Paul, it is a change of identity. Paul would later write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, that is, united with Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, it's gone. The new has come. What this means is that baptism signifies that we identify with, we have union with Jesus Christ. If you're still in Romans 6, let's keep reading at verse number 8. We stopped at 7, look at verse number 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. In other words, you die to sin. You are now a new person. Present yourself to God. This is who I am. As Christ died and was raised in the same way, I have been crucified with Christ. I have died to sin. I have put my faith in the Lord Jesus. Consider the story of Jesus and the, of Jesus Christ and that of the believer. First of all, we are told in 1 Corinthians 15, he died for our sins according to the scripture. And here in Romans 6, we died to sin. We were baptized into his death. We have been united with him like this in his death. Verse 5, we died with Christ. Our old self was crucified with him. So as Christ died, we die also. And then burial. The story of Christ, he was buried according to the scriptures. What about us? This is where baptism comes in. It is the picture of the old person being not only put to death, but being buried. 
Verse number four, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. We, are, we have union with Christ in our baptism. And then resurrection. That's the part that we like. He was raised from the dead on the third day. But for the believer, there's two aspects. The first is in the present, and the second is in the future. In the present, just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In a sense, when a person comes out of baptismal waters, they now begin a new life. In verse number 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then there is the future resurrection. We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection, we are told. So we see that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are demonstrated, are illustrated in baptism. They are lived out. There is one more thing. We have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but then we also have the appearances of Jesus. We saw that on Easter in 1 Corinthians 15. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. There were the appearances. So how does that apply to us? Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. In other words, you're not baptized, you know, put in and then brought out and then you die. That is, in fact, the beginning of a life. And you present that life. You make appearances, if you wish, as Jesus did to show that, in fact, you are in Christ. I find this to be true and yet somewhat difficult. And I'll just use myself as an example. I was raised in a Christian home. Um, And so if you're talking about putting the old me to death, I'm thinking the old me wasn't that bad. I mean, why does the old me need to be crucified? Um, As far as... I can tell at the age of six, I came to faith in the Lord Jesus. Um, The old me was crucified with Christ. I was baptized several weeks later. So the old me was put in the water. A new me came out. Yeah, but the difference between the two wasn't necessarily that great. It would almost be easier if, in fact, at later, a later point in our life, after having done terrible, terrible things, um, we could then like put a marker and say, yeah, I used to be this horrible person, and then I put my faith in Jesus, and baptism shows that I'm not that person anymore, I am a new person. Well, again, if you were raised in a Christian home and became a Christian at an early age, you weren't that bad before. But the reality is you were in your sins. And apart from the work of Christ, as Paul says at the beginning of the book, we're all sinners and we cannot do anything. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. So it isn't a question of sinfulness, that somehow I want this this wretched old person to die. It is the old person that somehow had confidence in itself, in himself, 
or was trusting in something other than Jesus. And then on that day when we put our faith in Jesus, we become a new person. And then when we are baptized, we are saying in an empirical way, I have been crucified with Christ, I've been buried with him, and now I've been raised with him. Jesus appeared after his resurrection. We are to present ourselves as those who have been brought from death, a life of, or, yeah, a life of death, seems to be a contradiction, but a life that revels, if you wish, in death, that says, I can make myself right with God, to in fact a new life in which we trust in Christ. But first comes death. Before the new life comes death. The death of Jesus on the cross was not an accident. It was not some injustice that befell him. It was an act of sacrifice freely offered for the sake of the people of God. It was an act of loving self-sacrificial obedience. And it has become the pattern for us. It is the paradigm. I'm a new person. I have new life. I've come out of the waters of baptism. Now how am I supposed to live? Look at Jesus. He's marked by love, self-sacrifice, and giving. The call of Jesus is to turn from death, a culture of death, to that of life. And it is the death of Jesus on the cross that made it possible. And so Paul wrote to the Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this is demonstrated, this is expressed in baptism. We die we are buried, and we are raised from the dead. More than that, we are to be baptized because it is obedience. And one of the things that some may struggle with is, Jesus didn't have to repent, and yet he was baptized by John. He demonstrated, this is the pattern, and we are to obey him. Here at the end, I just want to make something clear at the end of this meditation. Baptism does not make one a Christian. It's incredibly important, and so important, in fact, that some people have made that mistake, that, that you can't be a Christian unless you're baptized, that being baptized makes you a Christian, and neither one of those is true. Baptism is a sign, it is to signify, it is to illustrate that we are, in fact, in Christ. We have union with Christ. We were dead in our sins, and he has raised us and given us new life. I no longer live, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. What I find fascinating, I have, I think, for most of my life, and frustrating at the same time, is that for so many, baptism is seen as optional. It's, it's kind of a, it's a ritual, and it's, yeah, but you, don't, you really don't have to do it. But it is the one sign that we are given to show to ourselves, to those around us, that we have followed Christ. There is no other sign. People have come up with signs, usually in the form of legalism, that if you're a Christian, these are the things you do, these are the things you don't do. But the one thing we are given in Scripture is baptism. This says that you are a child of God. Now again, just because you're baptized doesn't mean you're a Christian. Many have been baptized who are not, in fact, Christians. But if you are a child of God, this is something that must be done. Consider what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. 
He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's to be this unity in the church. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. To the list of ones, I think we would assent. We'd say, yes. One body, the church, yes. One spirit, the Holy Spirit, yes. One hope, hope of salvation, yes. One Lord, that is one God, yes. One faith, yes. One God and Father of all, yes. One baptism, well, some people are unwilling to commit. The thief on the cross is pointed to as an example of someone who, in fact, was promised he would be in paradise with Jesus, but he wasn't baptized. It wasn't possible. He was hanging on a cross. He was about to die. But from the day of Pentecost on, as recorded in the New Testament, we do not find a record of one believer who was not baptized. We do not have anyone that we find in the New Testament from Pentecost on who said, I am a follower of Jesus who was not baptized. Peter told the crowd, repent and be baptized, every one of you. This is the message of John. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. As much as to say, if you repent, you will in fact then be baptized. After Philip has explained Isaiah 53 to the Ethiopian eunuch, they're traveling along the road, and the, the Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip, Look, here is some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip answered, If you believe with all your heart, you may. The Ethiopian answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he was baptized. The Philippian jailer, after taking Paul and Silas to his house and washing their wounds, he immediately, then immediately he and all his family were baptized. Baptism isn't optional. Somehow that has crept into the church's thinking and it's, it, it's wrong. It is something that's commanded by God. Uh, Zib read to us last week at the end of Matthew. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And one of the things that he has commanded is that we be baptized. It isn't just an empty ritual. It shows that like Jesus, who died, was buried, and was raised, we accept that. We too have died to the old self, were buried, and we will be raised in this life, but also at the end of time we will be resurrected. See, either we are in Christ and we're not. And if we are in Christ, it's not like there's some type of mechanical device that can scope. It's like an x-ray or MRI that can see whether or not we are in Christ. The evidence is to be seen in the fact that we are baptized. We're united with him and his resurrection. That part we like, but we're also united with him in his death. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for the gift of your Son. 
But there are things that we do or have done, things that have become so familiar that oftentimes they lose their import, their significance. And in a way they become, we think they become optional. We are keen to know that we will be raised with the Lord Jesus the last day. As he was raised from the dead, we will be as well. We are not so keen on the matter of dying with him. But the reality is, if we are in Christ, we are new people. We're new creatures. The old has been done away with. And the one way that you have chosen that we are to show this is by being obedient and being baptized. It shows that we are your people. And that we are in Christ. That we follow his example. We don't die on a cross. We are not buried in a tomb and raised. But we, in fact, enter water. We are immersed. We, in a sense, illustrate his death, burial, and resurrection. Speak to our hearts, I pray. Open our hearts to see the truth of your word. And in a culture that embraces individualism, may we see that, in fact, we are united with Christ. We pray for Ruth, who is in the Philippines, that you would keep her safe, bring her back to us safely. For Stacy, we ask for a good report from the pathologist and a safe trip as they go to Alaska. And for the De La Rosa family as they commemorate the one year of the passing of Paz. We are grateful that she is no longer suffering. She's with the Lord Jesus. But we still miss her. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.